0: welcome to the workplace podcast our topic today is a trailblazers journey in leadership achieving your potential and gender equality today's guest is captain of liverpool fc's women's team neve fahey neve a proud goi native is also a senior international player for ireland and has been named player of the year on three occasions with nearly 100 caps in a trophy-laden career, Neve combined a third-level education while continuing to progress her football career. This is that need to attain a master's in pharmacology and also play football in Ireland, England and France over a 14-year period for clubs including Devon, Arsenal, Bordeaux and Chelsea. Neve has just completed a course in data and statistics for business and is in the final stages of completing your UEFA B coaching license, along with being a football pundit for RTE. Neve, very welcome to the workplace podcast.
1: Thanks very much for having me, William.
0: And congratulations on your Player of the Month award. I forgot to mention that earlier.
1: Yeah, thanks. Thanks. Yeah, nice. Uh, nice award to pick up.
0: Exactly. And uh, Neve, I was just saying before we hit records that uh, I've been tracking your career for. 18 or 19 years now where you first came to prominence then as playing for Sautil Devon and you won um, a trophy with someone that I used to sit beside in school Susie Cunningham uh, who also represented uh, Ireland so we'll talk more about that uh, later on so I'd like to talk to you about being a trailblazer, all right? So for example, when I mentioned uh, Susie Cunningham I used to sit beside in home economics in the jazz in Galway, um, and I didn't realize there was actually a senior uh, Irish women's team uh, for soccer. And again, in terms of that, that really sparked my curiosity. And this is when I was following your career and different uh, women's soccer careers then in terms of we'll say Emma Byrne who played for uh, Arsenal the goalkeeper there and you know Katie Taylor the boxer you know so again in terms of that um, I suppose I've been following your uh, career with uh, intrigue so again in in terms of that what's it like to be a trailblazer so going back you know all all that time to to where you're at now that's some journey yeah like you
1: said uh... 20 years tracking it seems like a an absolute lifetime it's hard to believe um that I've been on this journey for that long but I suppose being a you know the word you say trailblazer I've never actually thought of myself as a trailblazer it's only probably recently in the last year or two when I got a you know a lot of young girls who um who send me some fan mail or some letters and they're saying you know I want to be like you one day or I want to play for Liverpool women I'm from I'm from Galway or I'm from Tipperary I play football and in my club and what can I do to get better so it's when I get these little messages that I realize wow it's it's uh it's having such an impact on um on young people back home which which is fantastic it's something I'm really proud of
0: yeah and I'm sure that journey in its early stages wasn't the easiest Uh, can you tell me a little bit about that
1: yeah, I think like you said about Susie. Not you. You yourself weren't uh, sure there was an Irish senior women's team. I also wasn't sure there was one until maybe I'd say fifteen or sixteen, when it actually became visible to me um, through different trials. And as I was climbing the ladders of the of the football world, um, trials were being mentioned for the Irish team. So yeah, it was kind of an, an unknown journey for me. I kind of fell into it, or I, I managed to keep climbing the the rungs of the ladders that actually it became apparent that this was a thing Um so for me it was kind of blissful unawareness that happened um a- along my career that actually led me to where I am now
0: and you know is there any so you hear about those Are you tell us about those fan letters then and what kind of advice then would you give to you know uh young women then listening in here
1: Yes, I try to think back of what I used to enjoy doing uh, when I was a young girl at home. And a lot of the time it was just if I watched something on TV like the World Cup and I was going out and trying to pretend I was Ronaldo outside my house trying to practice the flicks or, you know, just kicking the ball up for the wall, like just practicing skills on my own and and just, uh, yeah, just trying to satisfaction out of doing these little things. It was all visible to me on the television but um, for me in that backyard it, it was a male it was a male world and I was I wasn't aware that you know females had this opportunity or could have this opportunity at the time so I just tell them to you know practice their skills outside like basic stuff really but you know it's it's when you're young and you're doing it it's it's so satisfying when I mean, you can do a trick or you know around the world or the Maradona 70s are all really, really cool things.
0: Yeah and it's really important to have you know if you can see it you can be it isn't it it's it's really important to have that exposure to women's coverage you know of of soccer or football or or whatever. Would you agree with that or do you oh, think that's a
1: definitely yeah a hundred percent like if you the 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 slogan was if if you can't see, you can't be and it it's so true it's such a powerful thing to be able to see female athletes on the t v and then also for young girls the power that that has of Inspiring a generation—it's um, huge, really. It's, it's yeah, you can't underestimate how important that is.
0: And I was thinking back then. I was actually in America when the U.S. Uh, women's team won the World Cup back in '99. When um, was it, Brandy Chastain? Brandy is that her Chastain, name?
1: Yeah,
0: yeah, and she—you know—she won the penalty kick and fired off the jersey, and you know and I remember watching that live and it was just the crowd was going nuts and it was like it was like you know for the the TV executives it's like yeah there's something you know they should be more often
1: yeah Yeah, you can just the American uh, national team have been the trailblazers of um, women's football shall we say you know it's just their whole appeal and their level that they've got is has, has shown the marketability that it, that is there, and the we'll say the want or you know the crying out there is for having these uh, games on TV all the time. So you could consider that team as kind of trailblazers, really.
0: And do you think that was a pivotal moment for you, Neve, or you know what are your thoughts on that? Were you were you oblivious still, or you know like you were saying before? I, or?
1: I was oblivious. I was very much oblivious still. I was watching the Premier League and was watching the the men's World Cups so like what would have had RTE back then so it wouldn't have been on it wouldn't have been on my television or it wouldn't have been yeah. screened we didn't have you know all the 750 channels we have now <laughs> to yeah. be able to be or streaming services so it just wasn't it uh, wasn't there it wasn't in front of me
0: yeah you you were like myself you grew up in two two channel land yes. uh, as well <laughs> as well and, and and I suppose that's the whole thing with even Katie Taylor now who you know used to play for Ireland and that marketability in terms of, you know, female boxing now is massive. And, you know, I think it's really important that we celebrate, um, you know, uh, our female sports stars like Cora Staunton, you know. And there's loads of people, you know, women playing Australian rules now, you know, Lindsay Peach, you know, serious athlete as well, uh, rugby and and basketball and football you know so is there any people like that for you that was growing up that you you know even Komogi? is there anybody that you would you know identify with growing up
1: I suppose the the obvious one was probably sonia sullivan because she was the you know the winning all uh all the medals and at the olympics of such a big event so she would have been like we'll say the first female sports person that i would have you know looked up to and be like well she's a role a female role model for me um in the athletics world but uh yeah in terms of closer to home then I would have had Keira Grant and Emma Byrne um who were both at Arsenal so they yeah. were their FA Cup games were on TV so I would have had those to look up to as well um whenever that one that one game a year that was on so um those are the ones that that stick out kind of clear in my mind
0: yeah one game a year when you think I know, of I know.
1: <laughs> the FA Cup and yeah, BBC BBC show. I think I got it one time because it was a bit of a fuzzy channel, but yeah, I managed to get it. But one game a year, that's what yeah. we're, and it was um, it was a huge thing, massive occasion.
0: I think about you know, the culture when we were growing up then that it was kind of like accepted. You know, girls play hockey or basketball. It's kind of like pink sports nearly, yeah. whereas soccer then it was just the boys you know what are your you know thoughts on that or
1: yeah I I really it's kind of I'm lucky where I grew up in Clannan in the in the countryside I think there wasn't um, as much separation of genders in terms of sports we we played basketball we played soccer we played football our school was small so um, it wasn't the case that we didn't have enough numbers it was just I think the mentality whereas I know other kind of town schools you know you went to a girl's school and you played hockey or you played netball or you did, you know, these kind of female versions of, of, yeah. uh, of sports. So I was lucky that in a sense, I didn't really, I didn't really have that growing up.
0: Yeah. And then I suppose that upbringing then, I suppose you didn't have kind of that gender bias. You weren't really exposed uh, to that.
1: No, exactly. And, yeah.
0: and, and again, in terms of, of that, so, how, like then we talk about gender equality then all right so obviously with the, the Irish team then you know there have been huge inequalities then between the way the senior men's team the senior women's team is, is treated can you tell me a little bit more about the I suppose the battle for equality there yeah I
1: think I'm probably well aware of maybe six or seven years ago now we had the um you know, the kind of standoff with the FAI and you know a, a strike, shall we say. Um unfortunately it came to that. We tried to, you know, uh iron out the the problems in-house, but there was no um there was no listening really, there was no breakthrough, so we felt we had to, you know, go a more uh hard hard line route. So that that happened, but just basically from the basics, we were just looking for basics, you know. Wasn't nothing yeah. major. It was just facilities, um, tracksuits, basic. Not have to get changed in the airport toilets. Going to flying out to a game and, and stuff like this. You know, real, real kind of mm. shameful stuff now. But because we were used to it, so many years of being treated like that, we, we actually felt grateful. In as embarrassing as that sounds, in a sense, mm. for the little that you that you had. You know, there was no sort of self-respect or self-worth because you we'd been downtrodden for so many years. So yeah, 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 it kind of became the norm until one time you just stand up and you're like, well, "What are what are we actually
0: doing here?" And can tell me more. What was the turning point there to say, "Listen, what are we doing here?" Like just to remind our listeners, then you had to hand back your track suits after you know representing your country.
1: Mm.
0: Come back after your flight. And then hand back the tracksuits. Is it Monday right? Yeah, that's right. That?
1: Yeah, we'd, we'd we'd meet up in Dublin Airports, um, in our in our civvies, in our clothes. And um, before they flying out, they wanted everyone to be in official gear. So we'd all go into the toilets with our suitcases, change in the toilets, put our tracksuits on, come back out, and then off we went as the Irish team, and then obviously the same was on the way back. Uh, it was the same same scenario again. So yeah, it's it's ridiculous now when you when you think back that we did that for so long and didn't say something. Um, but at the time, you're just so used to that treatment that you you really just crack on with things.
0: Yeah, And can you tell me then what was the turning point? Then what was the conversation? Was it was it in the dressing room? Was it on the flight home? You know, where was the turning point where you say, yeah, we enough? Like where where did that come?
1: i think it was after i can't remember what game it was but we were at an away game and i remember there was a group of us just you know huddled around and we were talking about the game with the women's game and, and where it was and we we're looking at other countries and and England for for example and what they were doing with their players on central contracts um and all, and all these progressive steps that their FA were making so' we're, we were just like oh my god we're, we're miles behind guys and we're we just need to you know try and, if we're going to bridge the gap, you know, we have to make a stand. So, um, I think it was just reflection of where we were and where the game was going and just realising the massive uh, discrepancies that were that were happening.
0: Mm. And uh, where you are now to to where you were six years ago, do you, do you think you've made enough progress or do you think, oh, hold on here, we didn't even achieve half what we tried to achieve?
1: Yeah, I'd say we have a good bit to go, to be honest. Um, there was... We've, we've bridged a, a gap in terms of not accepting below power treatments but yeah. that's not to say we're treated equally now either so I think we have a bit to go in terms of that regard
0: yeah and you know in terms of, of that are the differences much you know excuse my ignorance around this or how, how is it different how are they you know how are you treated uh, differently
1: yeah it's, it's again like it's kind of a, like a sensitive topic because we we actually have you know talks going on in-house to try and yeah. uh you know iron out these problems so um again hopefully we'll get them ironed out in-house before we hear about them out of house okay. this time okay. so uh yeah <laughs> i'll have to, you'll have to excuse my tight lips on this on this one
0: you know and that's completely uh that's completely understandable especially with all that's going on in-house in 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 the uh, FAI at the moment and I have to say, I I read um, Mark Tye's book, Champagne Football, with great interest um, there and just, I suppose, uh, really terrible how people were mistreated in there uh, as well as the, the senior women's team, you know. So, again, appreciate that and thank you very much for that. So, again, you know, in terms of gender bias then and in the game, do you still come across that or, like, in general conversations, you know, because it's kind of like that casual sexism that's, that still exists, you know, and I was even saying beforehand where I had that unconscious bias before an example, one or two examples that I had in my head where I kind of going, I can't believe I just said that, or now at least I'm becoming more aware of it. And this is what I'd like for listeners to get from this is just be aware of how does this exist? You know, how, you know, can you give a kind of couple of examples where so you might experience that?
1: Yeah, it, it it does exist, and it's just through lack of education or lack of awareness. I don't think we, yeah. the majority of people are just are just not aware of of what they've become to perceive as the norm. You know, we mm. constantly have to challenge these things. Like recently, um even just the last day, I was listening to Graham Suness um, after one of the games talking about uh, a Premier League game and just saying, "Oh, one of the guys had been tackled," and they said, "Oh, I think he's um." I think he's chipped some of his nail polish off his off his toes um, or off his fingernails, basically off his toes, actually, because someone sl- uh, slide tackled him. So mm-hmm. it was just, again, you know, those subtle references to, to being a girl, you know, he's chipped his nail polish, you know, it's feminine of him. So you yeah. get these subtle remarks and straight away you're like, oh, you know, it's it, a lot of women who play football, it, it's not, just because you're a female, you're meant to be quite soft or timid, but you can not play football. It's just those little subtleties that, you know, they're common, and every every weekend or every game, you get a little bit of it. So, yeah, you just it's it's so normal now. You kind of you forget half the time it actually does happen.
0: Yeah, and again, in terms of this, do you have conversations in in the dressing room? There, where you kind of going? Go Did you hear Graham last night or?
1: yeah wow. all, all the time like all the time you just kind of be like well, did you hear the you know your man's comments the last day or do you hear this one or that one after a while yeah. you just kind of get sick of listening to it to be honest you kind of have to just shut off shut yourself yeah. off from it, from it a bit
0: yeah and again in, in terms of that from a systemic point of view like we talked about the FAI and the FA the FA seem to be quite Progressive there. Are you kind of happy with the FA's, you know, approach to the women's game, you know, what are your thoughts on on that so far?
1: Yeah, I think they've they've done a fantastic job um, in terms of building up the profile of women's football. Uh the league, what they've done with the professional league, the WSL in England has been phenomenal. Um, and it's now seeing that Sky and all the other broadcasters are becoming involved, which they've got it to such a good point, And now it's time to take it to the next step. So uh, I've been really impressed in in what they've done and what they've managed to achieve.
0: Yeah. And so we, we talked about, you know, that piece about, about gender equality there. It, is there. Is there something then that you'd like our listeners to know then is, is how might they overcome that, I suppose, unconscious bias then what, what might they how might you have that dialogue with them or is there certain things that should really start reflecting on to be thought, you know any thought-provoking uh, I suppose thoughts there
1: yeah it's it's difficult because where, where do you start really you don't want to you don't want to force things down people's necks mm. either you know like yeah. oh this is another uh, tick box exercise but at the same time what I'd like to if this if you had a daughter and she was going through the, had to jump as many hurdles just to get a, a chance in life as mm. if you had a son, would you accept yeah. it? No, you wouldn't. So, um, I just, I think that's the easiest way for people to relate to how the injustices of what sometimes women face in, in different uh, walks of life, whether that be sport or jobs, how would they feel if that was their daughter versus their son? Um, with the difference, with the differences, I don't think they would stand for it. So, uh, you can just apply that to everything, not just sport. And I think that's a good perspective to have.
0: Yeah, thanks for sharing that, uh, Neve. And you know, I was thinking about you know your journey then of of you know being captain of, of Liverpool Women's team there, and you know uh, you're actually living my my childhood dream. You know and. Uh, yeah. I this is this is no word of a lie. I often wake up saying um, I had a dream last night. I was playing for the reserves. No, well, in my dream, I'm not good enough to play for <laughs> the men's team, you know. And, and and you know, Klopp comes over to me and says, "Listen, you know, um, you're uh, we need we just need squad numbers today. Do you want to play? With the, you train with the senior team. That's as far as I get." um and I, I kind of in awe of people's skills or meet, meeting their potential then so again in terms of that is there different stages there where you go through the like in terms of performance and are meeting your potential is there like what are your insights into how do you meet your potential what is there any insights that you have on that
1: I suppose a lot of it you know with talent you can say it's either there or it's not but in professional football I've noticed a lot of the people that reach the top it's actually through hard work and Mm. it's people who are very dedicated very disciplined and maybe the talent isn't always there but they seem to be able to keep themselves at the level um so very rarely it's just that talent alone so I think those core things of self-discipline uh drive and also you know that classic one rebounding when you get knocked knocked back um Those are all like massive things, I think, to be able to to get to be a professional footballer. You obviously you have to have talent, but it's not the most important thing.
0: And speak about rebound then, because you you rebounded a few times, especially when you had that serious knee injury. You know what was going through your head? You know, because I'm sure that was a really uncertain time for you. You just, do you want to tell listeners about your knees your knee injury?
1: Yeah, just um, obviously had the common. The common, well, the all too common one now—the dreaded ACL injury, which is a you know, you cruciate ligament and com- complete repair of that was completely torn. So it's it's a lengthy rehabilitation, nine to twelve months, or sometimes quicker, depending on you know, male or female or level of rehab uh, available. So yeah, just I, I got that diagnosis and then began began got the surgery, then began the rehab, but. Yeah, obviously at the time I was, all sorts of doubts came through my head. Um, was I going to be the same player when I came back? Uh, you know, could this potentially end my career? I'm not going to be, I'm not going to be as good. I'm, I'm, I'm this, I'm that, I won't, I won't. All the negative thoughts were spiralling in my head. Um, but once, once I actually began the process of then actually doing the rehab, I, I, I zoned in on that and I found a way to, you know, just the, the negative the negativity just kind of dissipated as the months went on and then the confidence grew and then it wasn't actually until you're back on that pitch and really back in the thrust of things where you're like okay i'm, I'm fine here i can i can make it back again you know until yeah. you get back on the pitch them doubts are, are still yeah. in there in the back of your head somewhere
0: yeah and, and just speaking about doubts then like you know and we talk about resilience then how do you manage like high performance and those doubts then how do you keep them at bay what's your what's your recipe around that it's
1: a very like it's a it's a tough one actually trying to trying to manage i think without my family honestly i would have really not been able to do this because they take a lot of my uh, burden in terms of my doubts i'm always very I don't think I'm good enough or I, I don't think I'm going to be able to do this or that. And yeah. I get a lot of reassurance from them. So without, without good people around it, it is quite difficult. I don't have, I'm not, I'm not a solo person in terms of everything I'm able to motivate myself or assure myself all the time. Um, so I have that structure around me, which, which really helps me.
0: And and can I ask you that knee injury then? Cause I know you, you um, you have a degree in science as well, don't you, and NUIG. National yeah. University of Ireland Galway. Sorry for international listeners. And then you you have that masters. Then Do, did the knee injury influence your education? You know, was it around the same time or?
1: I was actually it was at a stage in my career where they, I was still part time at Arsenal. Well, I was full time, but I was considered a part time a part time yeah. player. Uh, so I was working at the time in um, a research and development lab in uh, biopharmaceuticals uh so it actually coincided a really good time because i had the distraction away from the pitch with that which which really helped uh so i'd go to work and then i'd go to re or i'd go to rehab in the morning go to work and then go to rehab after work so that was kind of that was kind of like my process during that time
0: yeah so give you that kind of focus then they're wonderful wonderful and you know it's it's funny i'm reading you know all the stuff that you've done you know you've the the course in data statistics for a business you know like like i'm understanding from yourself is you're very focused and very disciplined. Would, would that be true to save your personality
1: yeah I, I i like to i suppose i'm type a i like to achieve i like to to try and you know upscale all the time i'm always conscious of the fact that i i should be you know trying to be doing more or trying to progress myself or trying to learn i i don't ever really want to stay static um, so it's something I'm very aware of especially with education uh, I don't think you can ever have enough knowledge so it's something that I'm always trying to I'm always trying to get more of
0: and which makes you a fantastic role model and uh, then and also a leader so I'm curious about you know being captain of Liverpool team that there must be a great honour like Sorry for keep going back. I'm wearing a Liverpool jersey. In case you don't know, that's the first thing I showed Neve as she uh, arrived onto the call. So, like, for you, what makes a good captain? What makes a good leader? Uh, I don't
1: like it's. It's really. I think it's really subjective. One thing I've learned is you can't be all things to all people. I don't. Yeah. I don't have the answers to every problem, but. I'm willing to go and ask someone who does or ask for help when I don't have it. and I think being a leader is a, is a really important thing to know know your expertise or know your shortcomings know your shortcomings more so so you can yeah. go and lean on the people that you need to lean on and that's something that I've just learned this is this is new to me being a leader in 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 the last year shall we say so I've I'm kind of learning as I go along but that's that's one of the most important things not trying to not trying to fix every problem myself but actually going to the people who can who know, better, who know more than me in, in certain areas and um, yeah I think that's really important
0: and in terms of a high performance uh, environment then so you've won a good few trophies over your career you know what do you think makes a really high performing team
1: uh, it's, it's a lot of things it's it's the structure uh, the structure has to be right before mm. before the team if the structure is not right you can have as many talented individuals it's just going to be off so yeah, it's like the house. You have to have the foundation. Um and without that, yeah, you're 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 not gonna go very far, shall we say. But yeah, once you have that great people around you, you can just you can build all the rest up, you can bring everyone along on the journey. But yeah, I think the main thing is to have that structure in place.
0: And again, in terms of you know, your your environment, then like what are the kind of key elements do you think like every team should have? You know, like you you've been in lots of teams and what are the kind of key key elements
1: so from a staff perspective the staff around you you need to have you know the general manager good manager who's able to man manage and you have to have a different array of coaches that are able to get across what the manager needs so just from the staff perspective and then the physio perspective you need to make sure that all the athletes are fully taken care of like different times in my career we've we haven't had enough medical staff you know you're training as a professional athlete but you're not being looked after then off the pitch yeah. so yeah. that's always been kind of let down so medical staff backroom staff and then performance wise for, for an athlete to meet their capabilities they have to have you know the right equipment uh the right the right pitches to train on and then yeah. being exposed to the to the right coaching environment as well so all the all those things kind of married together um I think create like that elite environment they sound simple and basic but Putting it all yeah. together is actually quite difficult.
0: Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. And I'm really curious then because I know um Liverpool have changed their training facilities now. So they've gone from Melwood to uh their new uh their new training facilities. And are you part of those new new training facilities or is that a controversial question again that I'm asking?
1: <laughs> no, I'd like I'd like to I'd like to say we are, but unfortunately we're not. Um I don't know, for whenever it was decided for the for the guys to move to Kirby, um, the plans weren't put in place for the women's team to also move across there. I don't really know why, but um, yeah. yeah, that wasn't part of the conversation. So at the minute we're looking for a home of our own and that's going on behind the scenes. So Liverpool women's home, um, separate from Kirby, uh, is the plans. But again, it's all... Uh, it's beyond my pay grade and all the rest to to know all the rest of the plans. But that, that is all the knowledge that I have on that.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Listen, I appreciate that. It was, I'm, I'm just, as before, I'm just full of curiosity in terms of the inner workings. And I suppose it's really, I'm trying to figure out, you know, where is the women's game at in terms of gender equality there, you know, so thank you for your, your honesty there. And for me then, like, so I've been tracking your career now for the last 18, 19 years. Where to next?
1: <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, maybe why I'm doing all these courses, <laughs> continually upskilling, because the perils of being an athlete, you never know what's next. Um, I've got a couple of things uh, going on, obviously, away from the football pitch. When I'm doing my B licence and coaching. It's something that you know I want to, to get into after I've finished my playing career. And then also, I'm trying to upscale again back into my career in science and see where that takes me. But I've just seen a lot of uh, post footballers actually going into the business side of things. Their skills are highly transferable in a in a business environment. So that's why I did the data and statistics. Maybe marry a bit of my science with a business environment. So yeah. that's an area then I could be looking into as well. So um, I've a, I've a couple of things going on. I don't have one stream of a, a few a few pots to to do, to dig into
0: yeah so it's nice to have those those options available you're still exploring those there and you know if someone has to know more about your qualities then what what cuz this is the leadership piece then um, what are your your big qualities that you would bring to not just a sports team but any you know working team
1: probably the biggest things i can think of personally are my commitment uh desire to succeed um and basically sheer hard work i i've never shied away from a uh, a challenge or or hard work in my life so i i think those are like my biggest assets
0: yeah yeah and in terms of i suppose people listening in today from you know a sporting perspective a leadership perspective you know uh being a trailblazer you know what? Are kind of the I suppose key takeaways then you'd like to to offer, a bit because we're we're nearing the end of our our time here today, and thank you so much uh, for your time so far. What are those kind of key takeaways then that you'd like to leave our listeners with?
1: I think the big one I I touched on was if if you have a, a little girl and a and a little boy, you know just just think of treating treating them uh, someone treating them differently and how outraged you'd be, and just apply that to the female perspective of of how we struggle in in different environments, and um, because I like touching on gender equality, that's that'll that'll resonate with most people if they have a child or if they have a, ch- a boy and a girl, they can they can easily equate to that. So, um, yeah, I think that's an important message that I maybe like people to think about or or touch home with.
0: neve thank you so much for that, and thank you so much for coming on to the podcast today. Thank you very much. Pleasure. That's it for this episode of the Workplace Podcast. My special thanks to this week's guest for a wonderful discussion. If you want to get in contact with a podcast about a workplace topic or a particular challenge that you're facing, contact me via Twitter at Different paths. You can also connect with me on LinkedIn, William Corless C-O-R-L-E-S-S, or go to my website, www.yellowwood.com. Dot I-E. Yellowwood, your external learning and development partner. Provide executive coaching, facilitation and training. Take a different path to success with your career, leadership, team and organisation.